We are continuing a study in Second um, Corinthians. In Second Corinthians, we're, we're, we're in chapter 4. I've entitled chapter 4, Leaning Toward Tomorrow. Now this is, there, and there are chapters like this all through the book of Second Corinthians that, that, are, that get deep. They, they, they press in, and there's a lot there, and oh, what do we say? And, and in the midst of that, I wanted us to hopefully capture what's there, but also I wanted you to have some, some, some takeaways this morning, that, that in the midst of, of, of deep theological truth, there's something we can do with that. And so I, I gave you an outline in the bulletin that, that I hope has some of those pieces. And what I want to do is I want to read the entire chapter first, and then I, I want to highlight some of those points that I've included for you in the bulletin. So let's, let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're following along in the church Bible, you'll find us on page 965 uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And why don't we, because this is God's word, why don't we stand up one more time? Let's stand together and hear God's word. I'll read and I invite you to follow along in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, not believed, not understood, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our own hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to ourselves, for we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So then we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, would you help us to see those more? Father, would you help us to see beyond today? Would you help us to see beyond what is to what truly is because you have promised? 
Father, would you give us eyes that can see through the fog of the present into the reality of eternity? And Lord, would that direct us? Would that cause us to be willing, yielded, Lord, available in your hands, however you would be pleased to use us? Father, we do want to be your servants. We want to be the servants of others for Jesus' sake. So, Lord, take us, use us, mold us the way you will. Lord, ascend us where you will. Father, may there be more who are saved. May there be more who give thanksgivings to God because you have been pleased to use us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins, we have been given a ministry. We have been given this ministry that we, we spoke about some last week in 2 Corinthians uh, uh, 3, ending in 18, that this ministry in the new covenant, this ministry that is better than Moses, is not a ministry of condemnation. Too often, perhaps, the church is perceived as having a ministry of condemnation to the society around us. We ought to have a ministry of, of mercy and of forgiveness. A mercy of righteousness in the sense of God making, making sinners righteous. God forgiving humanity in Christ. That as we have been forgiven, we ought to be people that are so known for mercy and forgiveness in our society. As God has given us this ministry, a ministry in the new covenant, not of law but of grace, not of a glory that will fade away, but a glory that increases and grows into eternity. Having this ministry by God's mercy, not because we deserve it, not because we're up to it, not because we're strong enough, good enough, sharp enough, or smart enough, but by God's mercy, he is pleased to use jars of clay. Having received, given this ministry, we do not lose heart. And the rest of the chapter begins to unpack that statement. In the midst of illness, trouble, setbacks, failures, uh, persecution, pressure put upon us, the tendency to withdraw in fear, no, we will not lose heart. You know, we, while we were in, uh, in India just a week ago, some of the things that we saw there in the midst of much opportunity and much promise and good things happening and, and students thrilling as they gather in the word. And, and we visited one of the children's Sunday school and I was so thrilled at one age group after another to see all these kids sitting together with their open Bibles before them as their teacher was, was explaining through whatever passage they were learning. Couldn't understand a word that was going on, but what I saw thrilled my heart. In the midst of that, you also see things that aren't right, things that press upon you, things that, that you see our, our, our own human flesh and frailty getting in the way, personalities that, that get in the way of what God is and would be doing. And and well, it can make you angry. And yet, thankfully, gratefully, in the midst of, of reflecting on those things and trying to take next steps, what do we do? How do we how do we turn this, bend this, adjust this, then uh, I'm reminded of some of my own weakness in ministry. And, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend that, that um, cause me, remind me of, of my own needs, my own shortcomings, my own need for God's grace and what God would do that I don't have and my natural inclinations go another direction. And, and uh, 
Yet God would use a fragile vessel. God would use an imperfect carrier for his message. We having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. There will be troubles. There will be troubles in mission. There will be troubles in me. There will be troubles in the church. There will definitely be troubles in your life and in your family and in the midst of your work. And people will trouble you as they see something of Christ in you. And Paul says, but because of what God is doing, because of what he has brought us into, oh my goodness, we do not lose heart. No, look what God is doing. It simplifies things for us, really. Uh, when, we're, when we're realizing that, that things are a mess, things are broken, uh, it will not always turn out well. It sort of changes our perspective as well and, and takes a little of the American shine off of things, if I may. You know, we are, we are a people that are all about doing things well, doing things right, getting her done and having things succeed and prosperity. We have enjoyed much of that as a culture, and uh, yet that's not always... That's not always the direction of ministry. Often ministry is not success or comfort or prosperity, no matter what uh, this preacher or that promises, but instead we're going to give ourselves not to tamper with the, with the word of God, not to practice cunning, not to strategize and figure out how we can manipulate people, how I can even debate and corner somebody into agreeing with me in faith. Because that is not saving faith. To, uh, to, to seed my point and say, yeah, I outmaneuvered and outargued doesn't chase anybody into the kingdom. It's not even a cognitive acceptance that, yes, that must be true, but it's a trusting reliance upon Jesus died for my guilt. That's the born-again moment. That's what makes the difference. That's blinders removed that only the spirit of the living God could do. So we don't practice cunning now. We, we are wise as serpents, Jesus told us to be, but harmless as doves. We know the cunning that's out there. We know the schemes and the strategies that are at play, and we're not going to be taken along by them. But that is not our modus operandi. That is not our method of operating. We are going to trust in the true and living God, and we're, so we're going to trust in his, good, in his word. We're not going to tamper with it. We're not going to adjust it. We're not going to soften it here and make it more acceptable. Paul says we are not going to tamper with the word, but by open statement of the truth. Keep your service simple. There's a lot. It's, it's easy. One of the tendencies sometimes in the Christian life, and, and somebody else is going through some difficulties and troubles, and, and there's the there's the tendency or there's the temptation of the, if, if, if you know, God, is, God is maybe allowing these things to get you to believe and, and once you come to faith in Jesus, you know, all this, these troubles will disappear and, and then life will be good again. And believe in Jesus and he'll solve your problems. How's that working? Has anybody mastered that yet? Believed in Jesus, problems are solved. They all went away. They just disappeared. Sometimes graciously, for a time. Or sometimes certain problems do disappear and instant victory is given here, but new problems emerge there or there. Because there's something about this passage that, that suggests or even promises that that's going to be the case. I would suggest let's focus on 
forgiveness rather than blessing in what we communicate about the gospel. Not tampering with the word, not promising what it doesn't promise, but what God does promise is forgiveness. What, what, what people around you aware of guilt most desperately need is the assurance that they indeed can be forgiven. Do you really believe, do you really believe that God forgives you and fully accepts you even in spite of what you keep doing? Do you really believe that? That God not only will tolerate you and let you sneak in the back way, but God embraces you as loving Father because of Jesus, despite what you continue to fall into and sometimes willingly run toward do you believe that Jesus, God loves you that much and has so forgiven you in Jesus that you are completely accepted in him? Man, that's a message. Because no matter how, how together people arrange themselves, there is a haunting awareness of our brokenness inside of us. And if we can be freed by living in that acceptance ourselves, man, that is contagious. Man, that draws other people in. They say, where do you get that and how could I have some? The forgiveness, the for keeping service simple, focusing instead on all of the other stuff that Jesus will fix in your life. How about the serving God with a clean conscience? That's what Hebrews promises that is found in faith in Christ. Praying for others to see the same thing. Verses three and four talked about our gospel is blind. If our gospel is blind or is veiled, if it's hidden, it can't be seen, isn't rightly understood, you've got people that you have talked to and it is don't get it. They, okay, that works for you, I guess, but I don't, I don't, just, they just don't see it. They don't, they're not quite sure why you do this thing, but it's not their thing. And you have tried and you've talked, you've explained, you've given examples, you've shared your story. And nothing, it just doesn't soak in. It's like uh, I had a friend, a friend in Alabama used to say, water off a duck's back. It just seems to roll right off. And why is that? The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The only thing we, we can do there is to pray. I have a friend, a pastor friend, and he has this really cool strategy. I just said, you know, strategy schemes and all that are not the end. It's the clear proclamation of God's truth. And yet, I like this. I like this, this model in terms of helping people remember something. He has a bookmark that he makes and gives out. And, and, he, and at the top of it, he said, it says, my seven for heaven. And it's simply that. It's simply a list that you keep in your Bible. And as you read, you move it along from day to day. And as you're reading through the Bible, you're reminded to pray for these seven for heaven. I don't care if it's two or three or five. The thing is, seven rhymes with heaven, right? That helps us to keep it in our mind. That, that works. But the deal here is, I cannot convince anybody. I think I'm pretty clever. I think I'm pretty smart. I've studied a lot. I know some things. And yet, I can't convince anybody into genuine faith in Christ. That is an illumining that comes from the spirit of the living God. And so we've talked before. Talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. 
It's as simple as that. It's as simple as those that I want to, those whom I want to share this which God has given me, this, this, this ministry by God's mercy that is boiling up in me that is as simple as the gospel itself of forgiveness and acceptance before God in Christ. I need to pray for others to see it. It's not based on my explaining. Hey, that takes the pressure off. I can simply tell my story. I can tell what I know. I can share what I believe. It doesn't have to be the best polished lines ever. I don't have to rehearse in front of the mirror beforehand. I don't have to have little cue cards. Okay, what am I supposed to say next? I can go with the flow of the conversation where it goes. And if I feel like I messed it up, I say, Lord, I've dug a bit of a hole here. You're going to have to get us out of it. And he seems to delight in that. God seems to delight in using the unusable and doing the impossible. And so, did I say impossible? You see, that's just an example of how messed up I am. I can't get, I can't get the presentation right. You still got it, though, didn't you? You probably remember it even more now. God loves doing the impossible. All right. Pray for others to see it. That 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 and essence here, our privilege, our greatest ministry is, is that, that treasure, that treasure in earthen vessels is the life of Christ within us. We give ourselves first to God. And out of that, he lives his life in us and through us. We don't proclaim ourselves. Sharing our faith is not building, up, up, building us up in the eyes of others. We don't serve others that they might admire us more for. It's an easy temptation, especially when you've got a going program that's doing good things for somebody. I love to be appreciated. And yet, we don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You know how you, you, know, how you know that you're serving as a servant from the heart? when other people treat you like a servant and you don't notice. That's when you know that you are indeed serving as a servant for Jesus' sake. God has said, let light shine out of darkness as shown in our own hearts. Think about it. This is the essence of creation. And it was there in creation. God, there's darkness. And God says, let light shine in darkness. Let light shine in darkness. And then there, what? Well, there's something there about the light of the world himself who would come into the midst of a darkened world. And Jesus comes, and Jesus is the light of the world. He says himself, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Wait a minute. There's an expiration date on that. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Well, Jesus isn't in the world anymore. Where has the light gone? The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that is still his intent. Light still will shine out of darkness and it shines out of our own lives. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You. Imagine it. What is his role? What is his identity as the light in the midst of darkness shining the glory of God? And he gives that to us. His spirit is within us. And the life of God in Jesus Christ, the likeness of Christ that we are changed into from glory to glory as the gospel, as the word of God does its transforming work in us, molding us here a little, there a little, knocking off rough edges into Something that looks and resembles more and more of the family likeness as children of God. You are the light of the world. 
And so, so, so Paul talks about that. Paul picks that up in Philippians chapter 2, another one of those books that's going to lean towards hardship along the way. But he says in verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I don't know what you think about what's going on in the world today, but crooked and twisted generation seems to fit. I think we're in those times. If you wondered, well, is this quite for us? Maybe this wasn't. I think we're in those days. Twisted and crooked generation, among whom you shine as lights in the midst of darkness. The very glory of God that shone out in the darkness and chaos of the original unformed creation That's what God, you think there's chaos out there? You think there's darkness out there? Exactly. And that's the place in which the body of Christ, those who have the spirit of the living God within us as as lamps lit, that's where Jesus is seen. In the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the chaos, we live out Christ's life. That's why we don't withdraw, we don't hide from temporary troubles. Now, now, somebody described the troubles that occur in life and even persecution that'll come is kind of like, kind of like the purple heart in God's army. The purple heart is, the, is that decoration that you get for spilling your blood, not just while there was a war going on, but in the midst of combat. And not just that you were in the combat, but you were wounded. You spilled your blood in the midst of that combat against the enemy. And you're awarded the purple heart. Now, even those that are say, yeah, I want to be in combat. I want to go to the front lines. I want to face the enemy. Are not saying, I want to take a bullet. No, you don't stand up and volunteer and say, I want the Purple Heart. But it's one of our highest honored among the military decorations. Hardship and suffering is kind of like that. It's not necessarily to be pursued and we don't need to go looking for it in ways that, may, that make us antagonistic or, or ornery toward others. I've known some Christians that were, seem, were seemingly looking for persecution. And all they, did is, all they did was give Jesus a bad rap. But we will face trouble, he says. And we don't need to run away from it or withdraw from it. Even though we, we, we have this treasure in jars of clay, we're going to be afflicted, we're going to be crushed, or, or rather we're afflicted, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we don't despair because we know where the trouble comes from and we know where it ends. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the enemy's hand against us, We are not, isn't it interesting, the word choice there, we are not forsaken. He said, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I will never leave you forsaken. Persecuted, but never forsaken. Struck down, but never destroyed. What can man do to me? I remember well the story of Richard Wormbrandt, who was the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. And, and at one point, he was threatened with execution by his Romanian prison guards. And he says, well, you could kill me. You could do that. You have the power to do that. But first, before you do, and it's okay, you can kill me. But first, can I tell you what you're going to do? He said, the believers in Romania 
are going to be so encouraged and so strengthened by the fact that you could not intimidate me even to the point of death, that you were forced to take my life because there was no way you could silence my faith. He said, this country is going to be filled with dozens and dozens and hundreds of Richard Vermbrandts that you will never be able to quench. They said, oh, well, I guess we can't kill him then. What are we going to do with him? And on the trouble and the persecution went. But, but the worst, the worst that they could do to him, he said, the worst you can do to me is you can take away my life and that will stir the church here like never before. And as for me, you will simply usher me into the very presence of the God whom I love and I serve, who died to save me and who will keep me forever and I will be now in his presence which is fullness of joy and whenever his time is for me to be there instead of here, that will be gain for me. I'm ready to go. They gain nothing from taking his life. What can the enemy do to us, really? Not withdrawing. Now, most of us are not going to face, most of us are not going to face that level of persecution where we're going to be in danger of our lives because of our faith. But there are Christians all around us in the world. In fact, a large portion of the world where the greatest populations in the world are, Christians are in that very situation. I want to ask Doug Wagner to come on up now and share. I'm looking for Doug. Where's Doug? There's Doug. I want to ask Doug to come on up. Doug, Doug serves with YWAM in Thailand, but he spends a lot of time in Vietnam as well. In fact, he's connected to the halfway house, which, which is a place where those who have been caught up in drug abuse come to know Jesus Christ as Savior through a man who runs that named Pastor, Pastor Jacob. Jacob, right? Yes, and, Jacob. Uh, so he's going to tell us just a little bit about uh, some of those things that he and some of the things that Jacob has encountered there that in this whole that this just reminds us of the troubles that our brothers and sisters around the world do, do indeed encounter. Let me slip behind you and get these Okay. Lights. Thanks, Bob. I've got a picture we'll put up here in a moment here that will show uh, the halfway house there. Let's get the lights down here. Um, myself and Pastor Jacob started this ministry in Hanoi, northern Vietnam, about seven years ago. And as Bob was saying, our goal is to help uh, men who have struggled with drug addiction to get off of that through the love and discipleship of Jesus Christ. When you're trying to do the work of the Lord in a, in a country with a government that doesn't like Jesus, is afraid of Jesus, you can face real persecution. Now, this picture here, you'll see police officers there in green. There's about seven of them in that photo. You might think we're doing a potluck for the police. No, this is not a police potluck. This, this is an image of persecution here. They don't want us there. They don't want Jesus proclaimed. They don't want this kind of thing uh, happening there. When, when Jacob sent that picture to me just earlier this week, I, I told him, I, I said, boy, this, this looks perplexing. This looks really despairing. What are you thinking? What are you going to do? And he's like, well, Doug, We've been through this before. We've been through this before. You have to have faith. He said, let me, let me tell you how to have faith in, in the face of something like, like this. He said, even though they tried different methods to stop me, to end this ministry, I just 
take what I know, say what I can, and then God takes care of everything else, and the ministry keeps going. It keeps going because God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. And if God wants these men to know Jesus and to know a life free of drugs, God has the power to do that. It's changing lives. And I want to show you a really short clip, a little over 30 seconds, of an example of one of the guys whose life has been completely turned around by this ministry. Let's show a video clip. Before he believed Jesus and come to Bethesda house, his life is really hopeless. I find a mean food in my life when after I live in Bethesda house. My family accept Jesus also by the way I, I live. My mom, my younger sister, my uncle, they believe Jesus by the way they see I'm, Jesus changed my life. Believing in Jesus by the way they see Jesus changing my life. After this service, I'm going to have a lunch. You're welcome to join us. We'll have food there, and I'm going to show the whole video, and you'll get the whole story and the whole update on what's happening with my ministry there at the, at the halfway house. It's an amazing story, but you can't despair. We may feel down in despair, but what we need to be in is prayer, trusting that the Lord will get us through anything that seems to perplex us. I want us to just pause and pray for Doug and uh, his ministry. He's a, he's a long way from home in Thailand, and um, time that he travels from there to other countries in Asia. So let's just ask the Lord's protection and blessing in the midst of this kind of environment. Father, would you have your hand of blessing and protecting upon Doug? Father, as you give him skills and grace and resources, Lord, to share and to help those like Pastor Jacob in this halfway house ministry, Lord, we thank you for the fruit. We thank you for this one man, Lord, and, and not only he himself, but his sister, his mother, his uncle coming to faith in Jesus. Lord, we, we ask your blessing upon them. We pray for protection on that ministry. And Lord, also just for Doug and his comings and goings, as he enters a country, as he applies for visas, Lord, we know that uh, uh, the enemy will seek to um, um, put up obstacles and to block. Father, would you have your hand of favor upon him? Lord, grant him access. May the word of God uh, speed forward and grow because of his willingness to be used by you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we showed just a little teaser. We showed just a 30-second clip. Is that a, and, and promise the rest of the movie later if you come to lunch, is that a scheme? Is that a manipulating? Is that a, but the, but the straightforward story really comes right out of this passage, doesn't it? By the, by the change that God, he comes to faith in Christ, by, in the midst of this halfway house, seeing the genuineness of faith in others and hearing a very clear and, and straightforward presentation to him of who Jesus is and what he's done. He believes it. That works its change in his life. And in that change from what he was to what, what, what God makes him and strengthens him in his life, those who know him well, sister, mother, uncle, also come to faith in Christ in the midst of a, of a very atheistic Vietnamese society. That's what the gospel does and changes life. Now, now, you 
have a, a sister or brother. You have a mother or father. You have an uncle or other relatives that people close to you in family. And, you th- and sometimes we think that because they know us so well, that how would they ever hear from us? And one of the ways that I pray for those close in my family is, oh, Lord, would you also send them others? But I think we can also rightly pray that, Father, would you let them see something of your work in me? Lord, give me opportunity in conversations to share what you have done for me, that I'll tell my story. You know, in the midst of the troubles that we find in, the, in this world, uh, things going on around us, things that are perplexing, things that we do not understand, the kind of chaos that we see about us, even in the news this last week, the horror in Las Vegas, and, and uh, then somebody would drive their car into a crowd. Um, it's senseless, and, and we, we see, as some has described, the pure face of evil, and, and, and they want to ask the question, where is God in the midst of this? And I ask the question, why would not God, if God made us, and we are accountable to God, why would not God at some point here, the way we are, just wrap this whole thing up and toss it aside? Why would God continue? And yet, God loves the world. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. And, 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 and why, in fact, is God knowing humanity as it is, as broken, as as cruel, and as evil, why would he send his son right into the thick of it? Not only knowing that he sends his, him, him, his son into the thick of it and, and uh, he's going to experience, but he himself is going to be the victim of the worst of evil and brutality at the, at the hands of humanity. And yet he does. And he lays down his life willingly in order that he might redeem us. See, you could ask the question, why doesn't God do something? I would say God has done everything. God is not only, God has much more than, than, than prevented evil, or he has jumped in and he took that evil upon himself in our place in order that he would save us out of our evil by his grace. Comes closer to home. As long as we see evil out there, we can expect God we can want God to do something about it. But when we realize that the evil out there is also somewhere in here, then we know we need a deeper answer. And that's what God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus. So we don't lose heart. The service is simply focusing on the forgiveness that I have been given and sharing that with others, praying that they would see, that they would see something of Christ's life in me, even in the midst of these troubles and difficulties, that my faith would be heard. Let my faith be heard. He says in verse 13, we have the same spirit as is written in the psalmist that says, I believe, therefore I spoke. Uh, Another psalm I'm reminded of says, let the redeemed say so. And I say, yes, let the redeemed say so. Let us tell our story. Let Let us share with others what God has done for us. And you wonder, well, how do I do that in the midst of a work environment? Let's say, you know, one of our men was sharing this week that that became more difficult for him as he moved up in rank and responsibility. As he was over others and other people worked for him, now it's, it's more awkward to share a witness because that could be perceived in the work environment as inappropriate and as, 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 as uh, improper pressure of those who are underneath you. Well, one suggestion is to 
Rather than telling other people what they should do or what they ought to believe, simply describing this is what, I don't know for your situation, but this is what God did for me. This is, this, this is where I've found peace. Rather than telling somebody where they should find peace, this is where I've found peace. We can tell our story. And maybe it's on break time, maybe it's over lunch, maybe it's finding the right opportunity, helping somebody from work, after work, uh, understand those tensions, but I believed and therefore I speak. And we are, we, we face today an intimidation, a, an encouragement to just be quiet, an encouragement to take your faith out of the public square, out of public discourse, that it's not to be shared with others. It's simply a matter of your own private and personal belief. We're encouraged with that today, but, but the scripture says, I, we also believe and so we also speak. And I would say, that which you believe, you end up talking about. That which you are most convinced of, you do end up talking about. It comes out in silly ways. There are some folks here still that believe the 49ers are going to have some sense of a successful season. <laughs> I mean, there's just no basis for that either, and yet they, they hold that cherished belief and admit it to others. Because what I believe, therefore I also speak, Right? Just a little fun at the 49ers' expense. But, but what we believe, we end up talking about. I remember years ago, I met this girl. My poor roommates, you know? I was in the Air Force then, so I had roommates. And my poor roommates, because, man, oh, they, they kept hearing about Julie, 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 you know? I, well, I don't wear out my roommates with Julie now because Julie is my roommate. But... Um, <laughs> What we believe, what we're, what we're thrilled with, that is, that does come out. And might that be more of him? Knowing that he who raised the Lord is going to raise us up, the more we fill our minds and our hearts with the reality of who our Savior is and what he's done for us and, and all the eternity that's ahead of us, the, the, the more we fill our, our hearts with, with God's future, the less this present fog will crowd that out and, and cloud that out. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I might not go looking for trouble, but I will not run from it. I, want, I might not go, go running off on the next flight to Saudi Arabia announcing boldly in the middle of the terminal, I am a Christian and you should be too. But we have folks in our church that are off at Frontiers Candidate School right now because, God, if you send us to Saudi Arabia to work there and, and be with others a, a presence for the gospel in the midst of that place, we'll do it. We're, we'll go. We're in. We will not be intimidated. We will not run. We'll keep God's future in view. The greatest threat to eternal glory is temporary good. Think about that for a minute. The good things that seem important that get in the way of what will be eternal glory. The greatest threat to eternal glory is temporary good. Think about it. It seems rational. It seems logical. You might 
Remember the story of the guy who had so much, his harvest was so big, things were going so well, he says, what am I going to do? I know, I'll build even bigger barns to store it all in, and then I will relax and I'll kick back and I'll say, soul, take your ease, relax, enjoy a rich and a full retirement. And that's, that makes sense. I mean, it seems like he's been reading Proverbs. He's been saving up for the future. He's been saving up big barns full for the future. And now he says, now's the time to enjoy it. I've earned it. He doesn't say that he stole it from anybody. But he's got all of this here for now. And Jesus says, you fool. Because you're going to give it to somebody else. Because this very night, your life is going to be required of you. The, the greatest enemy of eternal glory is temporary good. The things that seem so good that end up as temporary fading distractions. Because we're in this 500th year of the Reformation, remembering Martin Luther. In fact, I see Brother Martin is with us this morning, or portrayed Martin on Wednesday in our seniors ministry, that, that at one time at one time, Martin Luther was asked, Martin, if you knew that the Lord was coming back next week or was tomorrow, I'm not sure which of those two, what would you do? Brother Luther answered, well, I would, I would go plant an oak tree. Martin, if the Lord's coming back tomorrow or next week, an oak tree, an oak tree takes, takes 20, 30, 50 years or more to mature. Why would you, if you know you've only got a day or a week, why would you plant an oak tree? And Luther replied, when Jesus comes back, I want him to find me working at something that will last. That's what I want to I want to give myself to things for eternity, not merely for time. I want to give myself to life in ways that are not merely going to be temporary fading success, that when I'm finally put in a box and stuck in the ground somewhere, that none of it will really matter. It'll be one last final applause over things that will fade. I want to so wear out and give myself away that the things that I have given to, committed to, been a part of, continue on in the glory of God forever. And that one thing that'll last forever, the one thing that I can take with me is people like you. The one thing that you can take with you is people around you that God might use you to show himself through to show his gospel through for their eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, we'll know we will get some trouble for it. But Father, would you, would you give us a boldness? Father, would you give us courage to, to go ahead and say something concerning Jesus and his forgiveness to people around us? Father, would you give us courage, Lord, and continuance even in the face of opposition? Father, would you pour courage in when discouragement comes? 
Father, would you give us deeper and fuller glimpses? Lord, when the enemy who blinds the eyes of those who don't believe would even try to put a fog in our face, Lord, would you open the eyes of our understanding? Help us to see again and more clearly and more deeply your love for us in our Lord Jesus, his death for us, and his resurrection, his glorious ascension, his seat at your right side where you already consider us seated in the heavenlies, in Christ, fully secure in Jesus. Lord, help us to see that again and still more clearly and that we might be happy to trust our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name. Father, would you take this offering? Would you receive it from us, not merely as part of something that we have, but Lord, again at this time, in this way, we give ourselves to you, saying, here am I, Lord, use me. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.